and welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Welcome to our uh, late episode on Abaddon's Gate. Um, Peter, what did you think of the book? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's another great installment of the series. I feel like at this point I'm like, yeah, this series, I like it. Yes, I do enjoy The Expanse, yes, I know. <laughs> thank you. The Expanse universe continues to be interesting and have fruitful discussion topics. What I really like about it is I feel like, at least so far, because I haven't continued on with the series yet, I've gotten as far as this, um, every book is really different. It's a totally different story. And it's like centered on the same characters, or at least some of the same characters. Um, but you, it, it's like a completely different type of adventure. Although I will say, historically, with like the last two books, when they start introducing new side characters, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I don't want to have to learn to care about new people. What's the point of reading a series? But then I always do end up caring about the new people. <laughs> so yeah. it all works out. <laughs> like, especially Anna, big fan. I don't think we'll see her again, and I'm sad about it. I mean, we may. Like, there's a... In, this is a, bit, a little bit spoilers. There's a character in one of the side books. Or in one of the side books. books. There's a side character. Sorry. There's, there, they do exist. But there's a char- side character in one of the previous books uh, that pops up again out of the blue in Cibolo Burn. Ooh, that's exciting. I don't care about him, but... No, it's not one that you wanted to see again, but he's yeah, there. Yeah, but they, they have done this, and um, I mean, actually, there's two characters. I was so hopeful up. it was going to be Avasarla, but then you said him. I, I don't know why you think Avasarla would go away. I I hope she never goes away. She's effectively in charge of the United States, the UN government. <laughs> the United States, you mean the United Nations? I yeah, that's why I corrected myself to UN. But she's oh. all, technically that also makes her in charge of the United States. You know that is true. She is, but she's just bigger than that. She's great. Yes, that and <laughs> United States government and everyone else on Earth. Uh, but so you know, there's uh, there are some returning side characters, so I could see some 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 hope for and on a reappearance well i guess reappearance but i'm talking more about like pov i can see return to a pov anyway doesn't matter my point is <laughs> you've read this, too far ahead to responsibly this discuss series, this uh yeah exactly that's that's precisely true uh, I, i'm like two or three chapters into the book after cibola burn uh but my the series makes a habit of taking characters that were previous povs and bringing them back or at least mentioned that makes and sense bringing them back there was just the one mention of Avasarla in this book at the end, and that was it. I don't well, think that anyone else showed up. Oh, and there was a couple mentions where it was like, oh, maybe Bobby will be here. And it's like, hold in, Bobby's not everywhere. There are Martian Marines. <laughs> I don't, There's okay, a lot of now, Martian Marines. there to hold in. I think he was like, man, I wish one of them was Bobby. Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe that's what he I said. I think it was more of a, man, this would be way easier if one was Bobby. I could have sworn at some point he was like, maybe we'll see Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> okay which is like it's both stupid and something that any of us would think in that situation <laughs> <laughs> no okay so i see where he's coming from on that because bobby is encountered like weaponized proto-molecule that's true so really she should have been there yeah it's a it was weird that she Martian wasn't there Navy that she wasn't there <laughs> yeah that was a real oversight uh but realistically yeah you have a subject matter expert you should be leveraging them seriously uh, but anyway, uh, back, back from Bobby, who was barely in the book. We haven't discussed <laughs> this. Back, to, back from side characters who were mentioned. 
from previous <laughs> mentioned briefly and never again. <laughs> <laughs> and in the most tangential ways who did not impact the story at all. In the ponderings of someone like daydreaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yes. we can start off by talking about the title of the book because Peter and I both looked into this. Yeah, although it sounds like you looked into it way more than I did. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I just read the Wikipedia page on Abaddon. I read the first half of the Wikipedia page. I I skimmed some of it, but yeah, so basically, um, (laughs) from from the Wikipedia page, um, it sounds like Abaddon is um, a Hebrew word from the Bible that can refer to either like the angel of the the archangel of the abyss, quote unquote, or or destruction depending on the context. And what I thought was really interesting about this is that between different sects of Christianity, um, there is debate about whether Abaddon is an angel of God or an angel of Satan or Satan himself, which I thought was really like such a perfect choice for the, the title of this novel, because obviously religion plays a big part in it and the way that different religious figures will interpret um the existence of the slow zone and and the gates and everything that that indicates about the universe um and and in a very high stakes way at the towards the end we see um anna and cortez kind of going at it about like whether this is well i mean cortez literally keeps saying like we're staring at the devil like we've seen the devil out here um and anna obviously disagrees and sees all the hope that that interstellar travel will bring to humanity who's like completely cramped and in kind of a bad state generally speaking um so i just i thought that was like really interesting because it it, the titles of these books um um, obviously they don't really he doesn't really explain them during the book it doesn't really come up at all (laughs) and for the first couple i'm like okay i know what leviathan is and you know i i read the tempest once so i remember caliban um but this was the first one I actually looked up, and I thought that was really interesting. And then, like, just thinking back on the other titles and how appropriate they were is good, too. Because I kind of forgot that Caliban was, like, a um, a hybrid creature. Yeah, like a monster. Yeah. Yeah, I knew Caliban was, like, a monster and kind of a force of chaos, and that's kind of what I thought it was. But I didn't realize that he was, like, literally half-man, which obviously uh, makes a lot of sense in the context of that book, too. So, One of um, those- when I am reading a book and it has, you know, a title other than like uh, book X five, like, you know, it's, it's got a, <laughs> what? Some, well, it's got like some sort of like, you know, unless it was like, uh, it's got a title that's just like oh, book five of the blank series or whatever. You know, so, who, some books who titles very... books book five of the blank series. <laughs> the, there are books that have a very uninspired and very plain name is my point. How would you rank, like, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince? Because uh, that's, like, a pretty straightforward title. Actually, you know what? Okay, so that that works great for this for this scenario. Okay. So, like, when you come across books like that, and you're like, eventually, you know, you find out who the Half-Blood Prince is, and you're like, oh, ha ha ha, so great. Well, you're, uh, yeah, you're like... There's the title. You're, yeah, you're like, uh, the name of the series, colon, <laughs> something yeah. specific about this book. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when will you find the Sorcerer's Stone? When will that come up? Series name, colon, plot point. <laughs> yeah, colon, central plot. <laughs> Go. It's a so, winning title. <laughs> it's worked for many, many series. So okay. you're saying, um, 
This is there's, not like that. This other yeah, series. so there's books like that or like TV shows where they'll say the name of the TV show in the show and everyone's like, ha ha ha. Oh, I said it. <laughs> yeah. Like they say, fa- like, oh, I'm just a family guy in Family Guy or whatever. <laughs> does that ever happen? Yes, actually it does. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wouldn't laugh. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't funny in the show either. <laughs> Uh, it just so it the, sounded so stupid and then it proved to be true so <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway so my my point is though you have like books like this where it's like all right yeah point a point b got the title whatever um but then there's these books which just have like you have to really dig like i didn't know who caliban was i've never read the tempest oh really leviathan wakes like you said layup no problem yeah, that one was pretty obvious. The sleeping Leviathan is the proto-molecule, and it's, like, waking and actually having an impact on the world, so where it was supposed to billions of years ago. Cool. Also, it does become enormous. <laughs> yeah, but I... I don't want to... We shouldn't discuss Leviathan Wake's title during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Too late, I've already talked about Caliban's War. Uh, well, I, I think it's more so, like, the sleeping Leviathan of danger. Like, yes. I don't think it's the size that really matters. I think it's the... Yeah, especially like, because it was it was sort of hidden in our solar system for so long. Yeah, kind of like the Leviathan of the deep sea is like hiding, sleeping underneath the like deep in the ocean. Yeah, the danger's always been be there, disturbed. but now it's present. Right, and and not, it isn't until it's disturbed or woken by someone that it really is a danger. Yeah, that's kind of how I saw the protomolecule. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, the point being, uh, this so I had to look up Calvin's War and I had to look up this one, and it's just like. It's really good because it makes you think more about it. And it's also like a little clue to what the author thought. Like what the uh, the not my main message, but like the central thesis of the book almost is. Yeah, that's that's really well put. And it gives you a a way to look into the author's mindset when they're writing this and what they thought was important. And I think in a lot of books, it's really rare. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I don't know, I guess it's, like, a rewarding framing, because it's there, and, like, you don't necessarily have to engage with it, and, like, as an example, and I do think it's kind of wild that we've never talked about the titles of these books before, <laughs> this is our third episode on uh, on the Expanse series, um, but, yeah, like, so you don't necessarily have to think about it too hard, but it's worth doing if you, uh, if you're interested in the book and, and what the book is trying to say. Yeah, exactly. That's that's good. Anyway. That is good. Did you want to talk more about the religious figures? You brought them up in the context of the title, but was there anything more you want to say about them? Yeah, sure. Um, you, you guys, uh, if you've listened to our other episodes, you know that I'm always very fascinated by the concept of how religion will evolve um, as as we go into the future and as we start to hopefully dwell on other planets and. Um, all of that. And so I thought it was an interesting move and they kept like kind of making fun of it as a publicity stunt, which, you know, I'm sure that it was, um, and probably a publicity stunt we would pull, but like having all the religious leaders, like an interfaith, uh, coalition of religious leaders going out to the gate to really, I guess, talk about and ponder what the gate means and thus give comfort to, um, all of the congregants no matter what their faith is uh who are afraid and don't understand how their place in the universe anymore um but i thought that anna was really beautifully written as 
honestly an exceptional pastor like i want her to be my pastor (laughs) 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 she makes me want to be methodist you know (laughs) with anna i really laughed when she was talking about how she was like thinking about her first sermon oh and how boring it was yeah how boring but it was like this really excellently researched and properly structured like thesis on this topic she had pages and pages of notes it was like 40 minutes long and i was like i feel like everyone that is a regular churchgoer of some sort or temple guard or whatever has had one of those yeah like a very young or very inexperienced not necessarily young person that's trying to like be really give this amazing speech or homily or sermon and it's just like Overprepared, overly stiff. Everyone's asleep. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. It was a very uh, relatable piece of this book. <laughs> and, like, but, ah, yes. But what what makes Anna so good at her work is that she is attuned enough to uh, the her flock, essentially, that she <laughs> realized what she had done and like could could correct that. And I not not all uh, not all religious leaders do do that <laughs> that's true yeah she was able she turned that around and you know, was able to give much more down to earth but i like so how cortez nice. cortez brings that up really later on and is like you know i'm i'm really good at like sort of revving revving up a group of people and like i make really great speeches and i inspire people on a massive scale but like when it comes to the one-on-one conversations of people who are seeking counsel like that's all you like you're you're really gifted at that and i think that both are important i would say for religious leaders but you definitely there's definitely um the different types for sure yeah and i think that's part of the reason why you know maybe you you resonate a lot with anna as a uh someone that you would like like to be at a service with (laughs) yeah that is what draws a lot of people in is the the personal aspect of of the faiths. Right. And her, her thing was that people come to church because they want to feel the presence of God and feel community and know that God cares about them. And that's... And, like, that one-on-one um, interaction is really important to that. So she works as a good channel for that. I didn't really expect this to be a theological conversation, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, so back to the the kind of... The evolution of religion. So religion, fundamentally, you know, whether you're a believer or not of various types, started because people wanted to explain things in their world. Yeah, definitely. In many ways, it was a precursor to science. Sure. They didn't have the tools to really properly understand it, so they told stories about it. Right, and so like they understand gravity, all right, so they no longer need the god of pulling things down and so now they know what gravity is and, <laughs> god and of pulling things down <laughs> <laughs> that was such a bad example <laughs> all right what about lightning peter i was going with the sun next I, yeah, that was sun. meant to be a ridiculous example because <laughs> gravity was a fun one just go anyway <laughs> Everyone knows the god of pulling things. I don't think gravity was something. I honestly, this is like weird, but I don't think gravity is something that people question because it's like so everywhere. All right, let's go with the sun then. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But my my point is that it since its inception, you know, humans have always been curious and wanted to find answers. So some level of quote unquote science probably existed since people were learning to like live in community. Yeah, but, cultural science. Right. 
so the but like the religion was basically established to cover what science couldn't like all right so science has got this first sliver let's do religion for the next 90 percent yeah that's true so as new and exciting and wild things came into existence or to the scope of man like discovering an ocean or like Mm. you know seeing other planets with a reasonable level of accuracy for the first time like is like yeah, you know, as people were able to establish that maybe some things are different or those stars are brighter than those other stars. Things were assimilated into religion and given a meaning. And I feel like that hasn't had to happen for a while, right? That's <laughs> like, Yeah, that's a great point. We've pretty much got most things at least like identified as a thing. Maybe we don't understand them. We've got them na- like named. Well, and you know what, Peter? I think that it's been a long time since like we have come across something and thought we don't even have the tools to start understanding that. Yeah. I mean, the last time was probably like the native, uh, not native Americans, like the indigenous peoples encountering colonials. Ah, I see what you mean. Yeah, maybe. I, I didn't mean, I don't, I didn't want to say just North America, but like in general, indigenous people having these people that look completely different in our care, like have great technology that seems like magic for the first time. Yeah, like, great essentially culture clashes, where cultures that are different stages of development um, meet yeah. with somebody who's more advanced. Yeah, I think that that's, that's not wrong. Although I think that the um, technology in Abaddon's Gate, well, I guess the gate itself, is is even a much larger technological. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, just like, the, as the same, it is also unknowable. Yeah. At least at first glance. Yeah, and... It actually, it hits on this theme, too, of, because I, again, I haven't read further in the series, but I imagine what happens, and it's very clear that that's what they expect to happen, the characters of this book, is that um, humanity will, like, eventually get over the initial shockwaves of it happening and start to adapt, which is the same thing that, in your example, like, indigenous peoples also did. Um, like, I was reading this thing about how Oregon Trail has been reworked with the input of indigenous people, um, or Native Americans specifically. And one of the things that they corrected was they were like, well, by by this era, a Native American hunter wouldn't really be using a bow and arrow. That's kind of like, <laughs> like, you're thinking, oh, cool, a bow and arrow, but it's actually a little bit of just a stereotype trying to portray them as primitive while they did, in fact, adapt. And a Native American hunter would at this time have been using rifles instead of a bow and arrow. And I think that yeah. that's, that's what humanity, capital H humanity, is going to do as the story goes on. Like, there is this this shock of being confronted with something so so far beyond where you are and but humans are resilient and (laughs) they'll sort of absorb the shock for a minute and probably act out (laughs) as we do in times of change and then they will incorporate this new truth into their lives and move on but i think that to get back to your original point religion is one of the tools humanity uses for that um, and it can be used as an excuse to back away from it. Uh, as in the case of Cortez, like, this is too big. This is of the devil. Um, v- which I think that some some religious sects who are um, resistant to science essentially take that stance. Um, or you could be an Anna and be like, this is a gift. And this is, like, essentially, I don't think she ever says, use this, uses this terminology, but like, 
this is expanding our domain um, as given to us by God. And we're going to use it and hopefully use it for the betterment of mankind. Right. Earth conquered. Move on. Right. Other plans. <laughs> conquered uh sort of barely hopping along on earth at this point so <laughs> yeah if we could get to the conquered phase in the real world that would be cool <laughs> yeah. we can move on to that real quick <laughs> what us yes us as you like regular real world humans if we could just get this earth conquered it's pretty... <laughs> i feel like maybe we need to let the earth have a little bit more power <laughs> no do you... because do you mean I'm handling, saying, like, natural disasters and things like that? Well, yeah, there's that, first of all. <laughs> H- hitting some sort of equilibrium with the Earth, I think, would be very positive. I mean, I would be happy with, like, I, I would be okay with where we're at if we could just artificially stop climate change. Uh, yeah. Like, anyway, this is a whole other, but, like, there's, like, that. that is a, alright, well, this, this is, we are forcing the Earth to do the thing we want to, but, like, I'm okay with that. Like, if we can artificially stop our impact on the ecosystem that's fine i mean i guess what's the difference between like if it's if it's done by man isn't it artificial at this point like is there is there a natural way other than just culling humanity (laughs) i mean yeah it's like the if a disease evolved and killed 90 percent of mankind that would be a natural way i guess climate control would probably not be an issue for us anymore (laughs) yeah that's true so uh, nature, nature is healing. Nature finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the way is killing people. <laughs> it's a little close to home, honestly. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like the kind of the nut job theory about like, well, the earth is just heating up to kill the infection. <laughs> I do. I do enjoy that theory. Where's that? Where did that originate? I feel like that was from a book. I feel like I heard somebody say that in a book. I don't remember. Who could say? I cannot. This is, this is probably not a valuable <laughs> contribution to our podcast. Not tangent. It, it is, in fact, definitively mm-hmm. not a segue. <laughs> it's a segue, but like the other it's half segue of the bridge wasn't built yet. It just <laughs> yeah. falls off into Sidebar Valley. <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, God. But I, I, I think that your point is great, though. That, that like religion, even as we encounter all these wild new things is still serving the same role and all the different sects sort of react in in different ways but within i guess the character that you would expect like more traditional religious sects you know went one way more i mean cortez yeah, kind like, of seems like a more of a fire and brimstone guy yeah it's not super clear did they i don't know that they said what his um his his uh area is i'm going or, with non-denominational i guess so i think he's just a charismatic just religious like, leader yeah seemed kind of like i don't know i kind of fundamentalist but i'm I not mean, sure he's I'm a televangelist that because he's a televangelist right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because he kept talking about the devil so much big, big That's what I'm saying. Devil i think he's talk. a real fire and brimstone guy yeah yeah he's like an apocalyptic um yeah like character. oh the end times are now or like whatever or if we don't act now the end times will be upon us immediately yeah. Like that that kind of stuff is what really makes those guys their money. I think that I think that what I want to get at is that I really love how James S.A. Corey seems to have a very believable vision of the future. Because really, this doesn't take place that far in the future. It's like what, seven hundred years? I don't Something think like it's that? that far. Maybe not even, yeah. Maybe just a couple hundred years. And like 
I think that a lot of sci-fi authors um, are, like, maybe atheists and just sort of assume that that is the direction that humanity will go. Um, Or they just don't feel like writing that because it's not their area or they're not interested in it or whatever. Um, But I think that religion's not going anywhere. Um, And it might wax and wane um, over time. And you see it waxing in this, to Peter's point. Um, A lot more people start kind of coming to Anna because they want to connect with the religion of their roots and they want help making sense of this really catastrophic new information and in the sense that it's catastrophic to their understanding of the universe um and but i i like that even though it hasn't been like a big theme in the rest of the books that it is still um accounted for essentially <laughs> that like we're sort of checking it with different types of people we're like okay so they're the, the early settlers and all the impact the microgravity has had on them in the form of the belters and there's the people who want to terraform mars and how how that's affecting them and and this is how the religious people are re- reacting to all the things that are happening um but but it's it's still it's like i guess it makes this future recognizable in a way does that make sense yeah that makes sense but i think it's very well well done it's like he he does such a great job of putting himself in the mind of other groups. Yeah. And really trying to understand what would we, like we, this other group that I am not a member of, but I'm a pretending, be <laughs> in. It's, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really cool watching like different, the different groups react and such. I, I can, you can tell either he is an incredible sense of empathy or he spent a lot of time really trying to understand what this group's reactions would be. Yeah, and well, you know, I think we've talked about this briefly before, but um, James S.A. Corey is the pen name of two authors. They write, actually write the book together. Um, so, I, maybe I the almost, diverse backgrounds helps. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think I forget that a lot. Yeah, I know. I mean, it is two white guys, so not that diverse, but. <laughs> but we're two white guys, be... and one's a Methodist, and one's a Catholic. <laughs> right. right. Right, you, you never know. I mean, maybe that helps with um, at least having different experiences of different kind of groups, and and maybe one of them's better at writing it. I don't know. I've actually never read an interview with them, so I cannot say for sure. But I'm guessing. By the way, uh, roughly twenty three fifty is when the beginning of the Expanse series takes place. Oh wow, yeah, that's not far in the future at all. Mm hmm. It's a little alarming, honestly. I don't think that that like tenuous Earth Mars alliance would last seven hundred years. that's that's where i'm at and they've never had like they've never had an interplanetary war until the events of the series not really yeah but there has to be a lot of i feel like time has to pass in order for martians to to so completely separate their identity from earth like it it made it always made more sense to me that the belters would be a faction than that marth and ours would be opposing factions well i mean martians do look different like, Martians are, like, somewhere leaning towards Earth, but they are somewhere in between Earther and Belter. Yeah, but just, I mean, I guess looking different <laughs> clearly matters a lot to people and their their perceptions of um, factions. But I, I don't know that that alone would do it. You know, I've, I've been thinking about something earlier about how I think it's very dystopian for this book series to be, like, aggressive, like, have race be an aggressive role. And obviously race is something a lot of people, like racism is something a lot of people deal with. 
Yes. In varying degrees. Yes. But I feel like a lot, at least here in the U.S., a lot of the issues, they're like, there are always asshole bigots. But a lot of the issues are more like subtle things, like institutional racism. Or like, like very rarely do they just come out and say, yeah, I hate you because you're the wrong color. It's more insidious, I feel like, very often. Uh, I think I follow you, yeah. I just, I think that... It's like it has a a very real impact, but people be like, I'm not a racist, but... (laughs) Yeah, but I do think people from inner cities who talk weird shouldn't have jobs or whatever. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, but I do think dreadlocks are unprofessional. (laughs) That sort of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's more, like, people are less willing to say it is specifically about race. They just, like... Right, they'll, like, couch it. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they tick things off that are strongly related to a certain race. And they will say, I'm not racist, but, and then be very racist. Exactly, <laughs> say something that's clearly racist, but it doesn't, <laughs> they don't actually say, I hate black people or something. And it's, <laughs> and they think it's better. Right. <laughs> but, like, this book series is straight up like, I hate you because you're a belter. And it's like, oh. I guess that's, that's That got true. so much worse. And I, I get, my theory as to why they made it this way is because finally like because real realistically there aren't that many actual physical differences between different races on earth yeah like, you know may- maybe statistically like some groups have like different physical characteristics but not really like at the end of the day it's all surmountable or like there's always variation yeah so, like, there's, there's a lot of overlap you mean yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, but, like, straight-up belters can't go on planets. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, and, true. And they look vastly different. So I'm wondering if that's why they made racism so much more pre- prevalence a bad word, but, like, obvious and apparent. Well, I think it's interesting that you are using the term racism. Because, and I might be misremembering this from the first book, but I feel like it was established that... Um, like, there's a lot less distinctive lines than even today between, like, race, racial groups in terms of, like, where their Earth, like, ancestors were from. You mean, like, there's a lot of blending of characteristics as, like, intermingling? Yeah, yeah, sort of like the Wayfarer series. Oh, how, like, the, the Exodus... It's like everyone's like... everyone's vaguely, like, tan and dark-haired. <laughs> like, yeah, it's... they found Earth norm, like, Earth average. Yeah, yeah, exactly, like... Like, if you took a spectrum of all the people on Earth, everyone would kind of show up somewhere in the middle now in this future. And I think that The Expanse is a little bit like that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's like, so there's I think uh, Mars has a strong uh, like central southern U.S. and Asian population. I think that's mostly I think it's like Texas and Asians. Uh, yeah, that's right. Because there's Mars there's the Mariner of... Valley drawl. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. That is how um, they describe Mars. But they, yeah, there is definitely a much more like significant blending. But we are talking about two, three hundred years in the future. So like, it's not like races will cease to exist. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's not, it's not, not far enough in the future where it would be like, it, it, yeah, you're right. Hell, Bobby's whole thing is that she's. Punk. No, Polynesian. What is she? No, I think she, yeah, she's like a Pacific Islander origin, I believe. Anyway, so she's like a giant. It's like, therefore, they can't be averaging, I guess. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there is definitely uh, some some degree of it. So maybe I'm just I, completely confusing this with the Wayfarer series. But anyway, what I was trying to say is I think that it's interesting that... Um, <laughs> And again, maybe it's just that it isn't relevant for the characters that we've met so far, but there doesn't seem to be, like, race racism. It's it's nationalism, really. I mean, it's nationalism, yeah, but it's not, like... And classism, in, I would say, in the case of the Belters. I think it's... I really think it's all three. Like, I think Belter is... has become a race. Because you have physical, like, uh, visual characteristics. Because the... I think the idea with nationalism is if you took, like... You know, a blonde hair, blue eyed white guy from the 1940s from the U.S. and took like stereotypical Nazi and put them next to each other in the same clothes. You couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, that's nationalism. But like if you take a belter and an earther, it is they talk about it all the time in these books, how immediately obvious it is. Which one's the belter? That's interesting. Yeah. Like they're much taller. They're very lanky. They have disproportionately large heads. Thin, very fragile, fragile bones. <laughs> yes. That's so, all true. I, 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 th- I think it falls under racism and classism. And they're not a nation until the OPA is formed into a nation. So for the first two books, they're the working class. Yeah, I mean, they're essentially colonists. Just without land. Space, space station colonists. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It is a uh, significant bummer, though. But you were correct about it being fairly dystopian. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope we don't go that way. I really hope so. <laughs> I don't know that I don't believe we'll go that way. It seems not implausible. but <laughs> I'm just hoping the percentage of assholes will slowly decrease. Or fast, quickly decrease. But I think it's more likely it's going to slowly decrease. Quickly decreasing would be good. But I will that's, accept slowly decreasing. Just decreasing. I, I, as long fine. as we net down is my point. Yeah, that's the main thing. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's just it's just funny that um, <laughs> this vision of the future is that people have chosen something new to be prejudiced about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll always find something. Though. Like I do. Like, I gotta wonder if um, I, you know, in fact, I I wholeheartedly believe that in the universe there are, of this of these books there are many people who are like, oh no no no, I'm not racist. I just, I just hate, hate belters. belters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad. That's definitely true, though. It's totally true. And I, they, they probably are not <laughs> racist against people from other races who also live on Earth. But belters, no. But those gosh darn belters. Yeah. They don't and, even speak and English. And probably, probably it would be unnerving for somebody who grew up down the well, as they say in the books, to, like, look at a belter. Because they are, like, a... a, a, a changed form of humanity as they know it people yeah. don't like seeing that i think it would probably it. unnerve me yeah probably i mean at this point you're looking at someone who looks like like they could be aliens just like they have human skin <laughs> you look like an alien from star trek like <laughs> <laughs> like you're still a human but you're different <laughs> that's that's so true <laughs> that is all aliens in Star Trek and Stargate, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, basically, any any low budget sci fi from the twentieth century, <laughs> you look like an alien from it, except like with way better special effects. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, 
How quickly do you think the Belters reached like a physical dichotomy? Uh, the first generation that was born out there. See, I'm thinking that too, but I just sound like a, that being that generation must be so weird. It must have sucked because they didn't. I mean, I imagine that there was some understanding of what the effects would be, and that that like medical care was attempting to address it but it's very clear that even now medical care can't adequately address it right like uh it comes up pretty frequently and especially in the context of naomi that like she doesn't go down wells yeah yeah that like holden's family will not be able to meet her unless they come to them and like the fact that he's in love with the belter and wants to have a family with her means that he will have to have that family in space and his children will be belters that is the only possible way yeah if they, yeah, to keep them all together, yeah. Because, um, I mean, in theory, if Naomi had children and they immediately went down a gravity well, it would be different. But obviously that's not going to happen. Right, because then unless Jim she is way shittier than children. thinks. Huh? Like, unless Jim is way shittier than anyone thinks. Yeah, or Naomi just doesn't care. <laughs> it's a little cold. <laughs> but you know Belters, am I right? <laughs> uh, old Naomi Sissix. I know. I was also thinking of Sissix. <laughs> Uh, God. Yes, but but practically speaking, yes, the, he will have belter children, and that is like literally the only possibility, unless Naomi dies, um, while his children are very young. Because, and that's that's the other interesting thing I found about Anna's story, and it's sort oh, of yeah. like, very much a side thing. But um, her daughter, who I think is two, like having to learn to crawl again, um, as they're on their journey to Earth, and she's taking all these supplements and stuff to try to like build that body back. And what a bigger decision it is for Anna and her wife to go to, um, oh, I forget what station it was uh, that she came from, but whatever whatever satellite she was on. It was not just Ceres. I feel, I feel like every single time they're like, uh, it might have been Ceres. Oh, yeah, you know Ceres. Yeah, Ceres. <laughs> well, is Ceres very big or something? Ceres is a dwarf planet, so probably. Oh, yeah, it is a dwarf planet. So, yeah, that makes sense that Ceres would be like the place, the go to spot. Yeah, it's probably like the <laughs> the um, you know metropolis of the of the outer planets. Um, but yeah, so so like it's such a bigger decision um, and such a devotion to her vacation that she would take her unborn child and her wife and go out there where she knows that if she stays too long, that her daughter will never get to go home, go go to the home that Anna and her wife now. That's a big yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, like, just hearing, oh, you know, she's crawling again, and, like, maybe she'll learn to walk soon, and thinking about how frustrated her daughter must be to, like, have lost that mobility. Um, yeah, because ch- children are so freaking pleased with themselves when they learn how to be mobile. Oh, they're so proud. Yeah. They're so filled with themselves. <laughs> like, check me out. Going straight for the outlet. <laughs> you stop can't table, stop me ah no she stopped me <laughs> oh god <laughs> but, but i'm so fast <laughs> oh lord oh yes uh yeah right though it's it's interesting and like she knew that the only way this was going to work if they went back to earth taking them even further from where she was going yeah yeah it's one thing I like about the series a lot is how they always take pains to, like, apply realistic timelines. Yes. Like, yeah. the the events of Cibola Burn take place, like, two years after the events of Baden's Ad- Gate, because that's how long it takes, like, in, your, in space and moving for, like, years. Yeah, I guess that's true. 
Like, I don't even know how many years into the series we are now, but I'm guessing several because there was a whole period of time that the Rossi was running jobs for the OPA. Um, there was a whole mini war. <laughs> and then there were like several other jobs that followed. That's uh, yeah, that's true. One of the things you mentioned earlier about how like the books are very like focused on singular items is I feel like helped by the fact that every time you start a book, it's like it's been eight months since so and so, or it's been a year and a half since the events, like since this event, yeah, and like it's a very clean time break. So it's always I find it kind of refreshing. Yeah, that's true. It is helpful to like know where you are. Yeah, you know, it's like it's kind of like uh, like D and D. When you start a new, like, day or whatever, and you're like, all right, got to reset all my stats. Like, all right, the Rosie's fine. Everyone's in good health. Don't have to remember who's hurt anymore. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> We're on a new Re- campaign. <laughs> ready for a new adventure. <laughs> That's so true. I had thought about that. That's a really funny comparison, but you're right. <laughs> it's a fresh restart. Yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. All the right. ship is fixed. The people are fixed. <laughs> everyone, everyone, you're good. Yeah, there was even, like, a listing of all the upgrades. <laughs> Yeah, like, when yeah, the Rosie leveled up, it was the level. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's so good. All right, let's. Um, it's it's been forty minutes. And we haven't talked about everything we learned yet from the protomolecule. Oh, about the precursors. Yes, which is what Peter's calling them. Is that what they call them? And probably not. No, Th- those who came before is probably what they call them or something. No, that's that's another series. Never mind. Oh. Oh. Oh, interesting. There's a fucking thou. We were just before you we haven't encountered this. a name for them yet. I don't think there's a name for them. Oh, I think the, the makers. I think is the closest we've gotten. I like the makers. All right, we'll call it the makers. I feel like the makers has actually come up as the name of them at some point. Maybe that does seem like the type of thing where it sounds like somebody's just saying a sentence, and then later you're like, "Oh, capital." I think that's like, like a, that's a proper noun. I think like Miller said, "Called them the makers." He might have. Well, yeah, because they are. That's who they are to Miller. All right, yes, we should also talk about Miller. Proto Miller. Cool. Proto Miller. <laughs> no cool. I'll pretend you didn't say that. That was really dumb. No cool. Okay, fine. No, no like cool. <laughs> Criticism noted. Okay, I'm just going to put that down in my notebook here. Bad joke. <laughs> so, uh, so, Proto Miller. Proto Miller. Did, wait, did it become clear to you why he was like nonsensical up until the slow zone? He's making some sense, like, to himself. But it was, it was like, sleep talking, where, like, once you know the whole story, it comes together. But um, until then, you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, my theory is that he... Remember how he was talking about when they were in the station in the slow zone? How, like, complicated it was to run the simulation? Yeah. My theory is he was trying to figure out how to do it. Oh, he just wasn't or successful. Or the protomolecule was trying to figure it out and hadn't yeah, quite that makes gotten sense. there yet. And like all those early conversations sort of gave him the, the data and the feedback. Right, exactly. Got it. Uh, yeah, maybe. That's, that is my theory. I also I have another theory, but I can't say without spoilers. So It also seemed like he was surprised, though. I feel like there was a point where he was like, oh, what, you didn't understand that? <laughs> um, I love I love Holden's, like... <laughs> uh, Holden... Holden is a little bit what people say about him. <laughs> in that he clearly has an inflated sense of his own self his own importance. Oh yeah. And like, yes, it is true that Miller chose him, but Miller didn't actually want him to come there. And Olden's like, it's the only way. <laughs> the station's <laughs> calling to me. Everyone's like, shut up, Holden, sit down. And he's like, no, I must go. 
<laughs> Holden take down the take off that EVA suit and he's like already out the airlock. <laughs> he's definitely got a hero complex, like a savior complex. Oh, he for sure has the same complex. And it's it's like it's a burden for him. Like he doesn't want to fucking be there. He doesn't want to be involved in any of this. He tried to go to the opposite side of the solar system, t- carrying questions. He's just like feeling deep fear and probably trauma. Oh, probably a lot of trauma, yeah. I would have to say. He's like seen a lot of death. And he almost died himself, and he's probably really... He's taking anti-cancer meds for the rest of his life now. Yeah, he's just extremely done with this whole situation, and he keeps getting pulled back in. But he also, because of his hero complex, keeps pulling himself back in without realizing it. Yeah, this one's on Miller, I feel like, though. Miller, but, like, Miller didn't actually make him come. Miller probably would have if he could have, but he wasn't making him come initially. Yeah, although the end of this book is, like... All right, time to go, kid. Like, yeah, go now, now it is no longer under, under Holden's control. <laughs> he's been, yeah. <laughs> he has been requisitioned. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think is a very open question throughout this book is uh, whether or not it's really Miller. I don't think that is a question. I think it's pretty clear that it's not. It's just wearing Miller's face and his personality, <laughs> creepy enough. I mean, yeah, but how much further, like, how much more do you need then? I guess. Like, I mean, to all our appearances, it's Miller. Uh, it's that's that he's true. But it doesn't consider itself Miller, so it's not Miller. Uh, yes. But, like, people have had, like, people have mental illnesses where they think they're somewhere else. They're not no longer <laughs> the first person. Um... I mean, there is that one conversation about souls and about whether... Are we going back to Singularity Trap now? No, no. Oh. No, it was this just is... in this book. It was one oh. of the conversations Melba had with um, one of her coworkers. Singularity Trap is always where I end up whenever we discover yeah, you really... consciousness. And I like barely remember the Singularity Trap, but it comes up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I've read it twice. Uh... Um, but no, no. So, so... Uh, Melba and her coworker have this whole conversation about well, her coworker is basically saying like, I wonder if the souls of the people on Eros escaped. Oh yes, okay. Um, and so uh, obviously this comes down to whether or not somebody believes in souls. But <clears throat> if you think about Miller as having had a soul, is the soul still in Proto Miller, or has the soul moved on? Do you have a, a, a an impression either way? I can't answer this. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. Because I feel like if Miller had a soul, then the soul is no longer there. But it's just like a copy. Um. Okay. Okay, okay. But if you take the entire life experiences of someone and compile them. Like your your soul has no bearing as far as I'm concerned. Your soul has no bearing on who you are as a person. It is the blank slate upon which your life experiences are written. It's the hard drive. Yes. Please, it's an SSD. <laughs> yeah, please, it's 2021. <laughs> Come on. Who's using hard drives anymore? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> you can never fit a soul on a hard drive. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's much funnier because of hard drives are better for mass storage. So that's ridiculous phrase. <laughs> But you could never access a soul on a hard drive. Yeah, the random I.O. on a soul on a hard drive would be just dreadful. 
this is funny. This is like us. half our conversations is you saying computer jargon and me pretending to understand. <laughs> hey, no, that was that was reasonably understandable. <laughs> I, I made a joke and you're like, it made no sense. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, I will retool it then. Moving on. <laughs> Adds note to notebook. <laughs> exactly. Keep all of your Taking a lot of feedback today. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, mm. um, so so if we're saying that the soul is the SSD, yeah, if we're saying the soul is the, the <laughs> slate upon which your life experiences are written, and if you just have a copy of the life experiences, I don't see why you couldn't just have two souls. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> See, so you've cracked immortality. Okay, hold on. I don't know if this makes sense yet, but I'm going to say it. So is it sort of like... <laughs> the subtitle Cannot of this podcast. <laughs> this is the caption of the podcast. Is, I don't know this Sci-fi sidebar. I don't know if this makes sense yet, but I'm, I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, no, but it, it, do you think that it's sort of like um, almost the multiverse function like the multiverse um mechanism where it's like okay and at this at this juncture we split and like this version of me goes this way and this version of me goes that way is that sort of a way to think about it i I mean that's i could see that i think that's mostly based on decisions yes in the multiverse context but i'm saying um oh like okay the souls part way here and now they have diverged yes exactly Ah. like if you if you could clone somebody at a stage of their life, rather than like starting fresh. Oh, like if I if I took a copy of myself right now and copied over all of my experiences. Yes. But that clone went another direction for some reason. Probably right. something quantum related. Probably because of quantums. <laughs> it's probably some quantum stuff, you know. Some quantum effects. Because of quantums. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna add that to my daily ver- verbiage. <laughs> I'm preparing to write a sci-fi book, so I'm getting ready for all those quantum notes. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Can't quite resolve this this plot complication. Mm, oh, I know. Quantum. I'm gonna sprinkle some quantums on this. <laughs> it's quite side of quantums. <laughs> oh my gosh! The the croutons of sci-fi. Unnecessary, but do make it better <laughs> and more appealing to the masses, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and not a satisfying. Not, not necessarily always tasteful, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so my, my my point is that or my my I guess my, <laughs> the croutons of <laughs> I guess my attempt to understand what you meant was like so that so they were both Miller, and then they diverged, and Miller's soul went wherever. But who, like, I don't know, I feel like... On. The question of Miller is more open than this book seems to make it. Like, if you take all your life experiences and if you just put them all together in a new person, I feel like... I don't know, I feel like that's the same person. Because, like, if... So... Okay, let's go to Old Man's War. Okay. So you remember in Old Man's War when they took a where they like can you know basically migrated consciousness yes okay but what if they just copied it yes okay so they just copied the consciousness into a sleeping human woke them up 
as far as that human's concerned, they're God, both con- spoilers for Old Man's War, by the way. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, because they don't know. Um, spoilers. How the old men go to war? <laughs> they don't know how they, why they're useful. Oh, yet. we've already covered that book. I have no, I, I have no issue. There is spoiling. no rule that says you can't listen to an episode from a totally different series bah. if you haven't listened to all the previous episodes and read all the previous books. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't feel bad about it, is my point. My my twisted morality <laughs> my conscience is, is clear. My twisted spoilers morality is clear. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, anyway. Anyway, my point is, though, both of those people would have a continuous stream of consciousness. You know, P- Peter, like the, in sing, uh, Similarity Trap. The obvious... Think that person. The most obvious thing to discuss here is the Babaverse, and I don't know why we're dancing around it. <laughs> <laughs> Just Another book about, you always want to go back to. Let's like, just man up and talk about the Bible <laughs> <laughs> Coward. You coward. You're always avoiding the Bible <laughs> Not true. I'm trying to avoid only talking about the Bible verse. Which is, gonna, is this, I want to know if this is a conscious thought in your life where you're like, oh, the best thing to talk about here is the Bible verse, but I can't <laughs> like, bring that up again. I can't keep talking about the Bible verse. I still got a little bit of space in my singularity trap quota for the year, so I'm, I'm going <laughs> to pull from that account. <laughs> I, I discussed the Bobaverse with our cousin at a Christmas party. <laughs> it's, yes, it's amazing. Um, but the point is that that is the universe in which that you're discussing, essentially, where you take a copy of a consciousness and all the cumulative life events and you wake up and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm not the original. <laughs> you have to, like, come up with a new name for yourself and move on. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... Uh, I kind of feel like that's what happened to Miller. The question of Miller... Is which, further discussed it, later. In which, in which case, it is what you're saying, where like Miller is still the proto molecule, or proto molecule is still Miller a little bit. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Miller with new proto flavor. <laughs> it's Miller with quantum effects. Let's just say it. It's, it's quantum Miller. <laughs> I mean, let's quantum call it what it Miller. is. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you didn't super care for her but i think we should at least discuss a little bit clarissa and her story oh yeah um okay i I mean you can start with your your stance oh um i i just found her very uninspired like i don't know it wasn't very interesting it was i i started i like started going through her storyline i was like this isn't gonna work what her plan her whole plan of course it wasn't gonna work well i mean yeah other than the plot armor Right. Her, other than plot armor, her plan didn't make any fucking sense. Her plan was because you didn't think people would believe Holden would do that, or uh, yeah. And Holden's whole thing is also super transparent communication. Like that is one hundred percent Holden's whole persona. Yeah, and they talk about it several times. (laughs) And I feel like, like they wouldn't. I don't know, I I am sitting here going, this is not something Holden would do to, like, fuck around and, like, try to blow stuff up with, like, terrorist bombings. Like, he's all, I am the paragon of morality. People that think they're the paragon of morality, or at least in the public eye think they're the paragon of morality, don't blow up ships like a terrorist. I don't know. Don't you think terrorists think they're being moral? Uh, yeah, but I think a lot of Okay, I'm also too far the also it's playing off of her Earth perspective of the OPA as terrorists. That's 
True. That's true. But I feel like Holden's... I feel like her whole thing is very much like a what the average person thinks the world works. And, like, Holden's not associated with the OPA anymore. Right. He just worked for them at some point. And he was never, like, a gung-ho OPA-er. He just worked... He got paid by them to do some jobs. Right. That he happened to At no to point was he, like, a... Like, yeah, fully he, in that faction. Yeah, he wasn't, like, free the belt, fuck the yeah. earth. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I feel like anyone that's paying attention to the actual dichotomy of the solar system, especially with reference to James Holden, who seems to always fuck it up, is gonna go, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Essentially, like, the intelligence officers whose job it is to respond. Yeah, the captain of the ship will go, what the fuck? And the, the guy will, like, lean out of his office and go, that's absolutely not James Holden. <laughs> That's very not that's a chance in hell possible. Um, so, th- so this is all why I think that her whole storyline is just a child's temper tantrum, and it's really annoying. Yes, although I wouldn't agree that she's uninspired. Like her plan is uninspired, but I think that her characterization is actually pretty subtle and interesting. Okay, in my opinion, because um, I wasn't really. F- first of all, this is like a general observation about the book. It felt like two books to me. Like, when, I don't know if you got this impression too, but like, when everyone got to, um, got to the ring, and Clarissa, like, activated her plan, and Holden, like, went through the ring, um, and then had the whole conversation with Miller, and then, like, the, the disaster shock, like, that felt like the end of a book. And then the whole next book would have been... Like, how they dealt with the fallout of that. And then all of, like, the um, politics of what Bull was going through and all of that. Like, it it felt like a weird... And I'm not even sure if that would be the cutoff or if the cutoff would be before Holden got to the station. But either way, it it strongly felt like two books to me. Um, Like, um, I think maybe you're thinking that because of the way the author tends to characterize, like, their individual books and their plots. Like, like the way they they tend to write the books and the way they tend to write structure the plots, it almost feels like they took two novellas and put them together. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder if that's what happened <laughs> um, <laughs> where they were like, well, you know, what? actually I kind of think there's more here. Or like, maybe they were thinking we, we really <clears throat> just got to move on from like the, the interplanetary stuff and move on to the interstellar stuff. Right. Which is again, one of the things I loved about this book is that it kind of re- reframed the entire thing. Um, because the proto molecule is like this weird, stuff. was like this weird background thing. It was like how how humans were using the proto molecule. It wasn't about what the proto molecule was doing. Like the proto molecule was doing things in the background and it was acknowledged, but it was not the center of Caliban's war. And so I was really excited that this book had it um, centered. But um, anyway, so I I thought that um, you're right. I agree that that the whole thing is a child's temper tantrum on the part of Clarissa. But you see that it's like all sort of stemming from the power of her father's influence. And it's all very delusional, right? Because she's like, oh, it's James Holden's fault that my father's in jail. (laughs) Even though like her father did do all the things he's accused of and has ever, you know, really just fully deserves to be in jail. Right. Just because James Holden caught caught him doesn't mean... Like right, James is, like you don't blame the cop. Well, you, some people don't. Well, mentally, I mean, <laughs> mentally stable people don't blame the cop that arrested someone. They yeah, if the person's person. like genuinely guilty. Right, exactly. Um, 
and it doesn't seem like there's ever a question of her father's guilt. She's just like, he doesn't deserve to be in jail because right, she my was, daddy. He didn't do it. It was, it was that. Yeah. You I mean, I guess I, it was like the, the, oh, they can't understand his vision thing or whatever. Um, but it, it, they, I think that the author did a really good job. Um, authors did a really good job weaving in, um, the sort of seed of possible redemption in her. Um, and I thought it was interesting that like the whole time she's kind of like, well, you know, like maybe I could just be Melba. And then she's like, no, 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 you can't be Melba. Like you have a mission here, et cetera, et cetera. So like, she was very much conflicted. And I think that during the, um, secret life thing reinforced that for her and sort of had her like allowed her to think about what life could otherwise be. Um, Mm -hmm. if she didn't follow this path and if she wasn't a Mal, um, and I, I, I didn't think that she was going to kill that guy. Did you? Uh, I, I don't know. I was not convinced that I was going to happen. I thought there was going to be like some other way. There's going to be an interruption or something and it wasn't going to happen. Um, but I she followed through, which is surprising. That's an example of something I don't really remember because I read it for the first time a while ago. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it took me a lot longer to read it than you did. Um, no, no, but... I don't mean like a few, like a month ago. I mean like a year ago. Oh, you read it for the first time like a while back. Yeah, I, I went through, uh, after we did Calvin's War, I did Abaddon's Gate. Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, anyway, so I thought that it was well done that they seeded that potential redemption in her. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 I guess I believed her as a character. And I think that they, they did a good job showing complexity in what could have been a totally one note, like, oh, she's crazy <laughs> sort of character. It wasn't my favorite point of view, for sure. It was probably my least favorite point of view. But I don't think it was, like, completely bland. I I had a thought earlier, which was, you remember at some point she was like concerned about, I think it was when after she killed the people in the the underground casino, was it? In Baltimore? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like a, a bar, like a, a, a poker club, basically. And they, so she killed those people and she was like freaking out about like, all right, how do I do this? We get out here without getting caught. And I mean, I think it was that, was it then? And whenever she was having the whole like, oh, he wouldn't be mad at me because I did these things. He'd be most pit- mostly pissed because I got caught. Yeah. And I I was thinking about this just now and I'm like, but why is he on such a pedestal? He did get caught. That's how, how that happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's he did a bad thing true. and then got caught. Yeah, that's very true. I so thought I it was like... interesting towards the end when she's kind of like, she almost couldn't summon that same sense of her father's importance. Like she had just sort of done so much and been through so much that like, even though he literally wasn't in the book at all, like that um, power he had over her was fading. I mean, I think it's like, Hey, you know, back to the temperature tantrum thing. I think that's how sometimes that like, as you get, you know, as an old, the older you get and you're having these like tantrums, like the, the moment it's over is when you can look at it with any level of like reason and go, Oh, well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> like, or like someone breaks you and like, I need you to sit down and think about what you just said. Or like when like someone says something to you, that's so dumb. And you're like, I wonder if you thought like said that, like said that to yourself first. 
to like give it a quick dry run. You mean just like how you see things when you're in a in like an extreme emotional yeah, state? Yeah, when you're very charged, and then you think about it when you're like not, and you're like, oh, that's super stupid. Yeah, it's embarrassing <laughs> that I felt that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not even like to that extent, but she's kind of like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> like she, it's just very subdued. Yeah. Don't know where that came from. Weird. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like she became some like there. She was Clarissa Mal, and then she became something else, and then Melba, and then she now she's back to Clarissa Mal. Yeah, like her just as a regular, well, like sort of regular person. Right. She had some sort of psychotic break, and then she was really no longer Clarissa Mal. In a fairly dystopian book, it was actually a pretty optimistic story. Like, sure, she killed many <laughs> thousands of people. No, but, like, seriously, though. But she was sort of, like, loved back into her humanity by Tilly and by Anna. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she doesn't, like, get charged with their crimes, which was good. Cause I yeah, that's the other thing. Her. I really thought that that was what Anna was going for. And then she's like, no, no, no. Like, I want her to be tried and, like, brought to justice. But she but can still... But I don't still... want gang justice. Yeah, exactly. Not not the justice of the mob, but the justice of an actual court. And I think that that was, you know, it made a lot of sense. And I also, at the end, when they were like, come on, take her on the Rosie, I really thought that they were just like, and it's fine, you can trust her, she's changed. <laughs> but then they were like, we put the bracelet on her, and like, <laughs> took all these precautions. I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> this is a lot more, like, bearable. It, it, felt, it felt very saccharine when I thought that's what they were going for, then... I realized there were like still um you know precautions and things like that. So well, it made really, sense. what made me like uh what is when they were talking about like you know what whenever you get to Earth and Holden's like well it might be a while until I go to Earth and they're like that's okay and I like I was like is she just not part of the crew until like they quote, that's what get I thought was going to happen. <laughs> so I, was I was like, like what is no, going Melba on? Melba's one of the crew, like or, or <laughs> Clarissa. Maybe she like, literally almost killed Naomi and definitely did kill thousands of people <laughs> and tried to pin it on Holden. Yeah, it was really weird. Uh, but it got... Res- but, like, I, at the end of the book, like, at the very end, I was like, okay, fine. But, like, every chat, like, every couple of pages, you're like, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> I did appreciate that it gave everyone a, an opportunity to call Holden out on his, like, protective shit. <laughs> and the fact that he's like... No, I'll never forgive her. And they're like, uh, Naomi's the one who almost died, and she's forgiving her, or, like, giving her a chance at least. Sh- showing mercy, I guess, would be the best way to put it. That was funny. So, like, get it together, Jim. I like when Holden, every once in a while, is, like, I'm not gonna say that's straight-up toxic masculinity, but, like, definitely, like, overly protective and controlling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think it's to- he- toxic, but it's, like, comes from that same sort of, like, traditional role which it's is funny considering tree, his maybe, child rearing yeah it's on the same tree but maybe like less of a poison fruit yeah exactly uh, it'll give you a tummy ache rather than kill you so it, it's it often coexists with toxic masculinity i would say okay that's fair so anyway so like he there's that whole thing and then he's like all right yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're right yeah. and it's just it's a good touch yeah what makes it not toxic is the fact that he can like listen to his friends yeah. when they're like eh, eh, pump the brakes <laughs> exactly he heard this they is literally were like this is up to naomi this was her fight so take take your cues from her boot bud boot i don't know what i was, <laughs> I don't know what I was saying <laughs> it just happened <laughs> oh lordy um also i accidentally diverted us away from the protomolecule stuff early because we got distracted by miller oh yeah well shit. we talked about miller and then i stepped away so 
Um, I, I was, uh, really interested to see what was going on there. I don't think I necessarily expected an extinct civilization, but now that I'm thinking about it, like, retrospectively, that's kind of the only way that this story makes sense. Yeah. It's Um, one of the things I'm, like, the the thing that made me go to the next book was Miller talking about, like, the, like, we need to find the, like, where did they go? Like, why are they gone? Yeah, it's pretty upsetting. I forget whether they called it that, but like the bullet. Maybe not. Is that anyway, what they call so it? it? It's like more of a. It makes more sense later. Is um, the bullet? Does that refer to the um whatever the the consuming force was or? Uh, kind of. Okay. If if you don't know what it means, then it means it comes up in Civil Burn. <laughs> That's true. We won't talk about it anymore. Uh, don't whatever, do whatever the adversary much. was. You know how things usually get killed with bullets. That's it. Don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, so the like, I really, I was like immediately like, well, I need to know what happened here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I agree that I'm definitely really curious to see what happens next. Um, and I, I, I do love a, uh, I do love an ancient spacefaring species thing. I think it was interesting that it was like a hive mind too. I don't think I've encountered that. That was pretty cool. I, just one time, I want them to come out and find them. And like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, what? I want, I want like, humanity to be like, oh, time to you know go to the stars. And who knows what we'll discover. Like, we found this ancient ruin that gave us the secrets of Starflight. And then they like, come out and they're like, oh, shit, that's where we left that. Yeah, what's up? Uh, <laughs> that's so true. It's like if the Forerunners still existed in the Halo universe. Like, that's what I want. <laughs> Yeah, that would be so funny. <laughs> yeah, there's just like a just like a small group of them that decided to go hermit. Yeah, or they were like effectively college kids, like camping for a weekend. <laughs> they just accidentally left their portal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that their portal, or like they left their, you know, uh, one of them left like a data pad that they were working on for school. Yeah, had yeah like the a secret design project. <laughs> <laughs> had the secrets to faster than I travel. <laughs> That's what I want so badly. <laughs> That that feels very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> that does feel very Hitchhiker. <laughs> oh, um, that's really funny. I would love that. I uh, yeah, I'm really I'm really curious to see what's going on there. I I want Scalzi to so, write it. So so were they saying? And maybe we can't discuss this too much because you probably can't um, necessarily draw the line between what was this book <laughs> and what was the next. But it was was I correct in understanding that? Um, so the hive mind. It seemed to encompass, like, other species, or at least, like, be in touch with other species, kind of, as part of its being. Like, it was, um, almost like it, like, it existed in the, in the, in the network between, um, all the different minds. I didn't really get that impression. I, I was a little confused. Like, does it have a physical body? Like, clearly it has some interaction with the physical universe because it built the slow zone and all the gates and the protomolecule. So part of me is wondering, so, like, um, there's a not uncommon, like, oh, this is the eventual evolution of, of any intelligent species where eventually they'll evolve through evolution or technology become energy, basically. Right. Uh, like, the upload, know, have- essentially. Yeah, the up not no not really the upload. They will no longer have a physical state. I don't know if I've 
you haven't come across that too before? too much about that. No, it's usually as far as I've gone is like the upload. Okay, well, so there's a few examples of this in sci-fi. Uh, like there's a, you know, a few things in Star Trek about it. There's a, it's come, it comes up every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but like every time I come across it, it's not the first time I've come across it. <laughs> I'm sure it was the first time once. Uh, well, yes, but like, <laughs> right, that's fair. Uh, and that, that and this is my int- very interesting story about how one time it was the first time and every other time it was not the first time. <laughs> Thanks for sharing uh, that, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is that I kind of got the impression that they were a like hyper evolved species. They no longer had corporeal forms. But that doesn't make sense. Either. I don't think that's true. That's not the impression I got. I got the no, impression they... that it was a hive mind. Well, yeah, I... yeah, yeah. But like. I I got the impression about, like, that it was the systems. Well, what? yeah, I mean they they must have lost systems somehow. But they had so so many systems that losing even several wasn't really. It was like hair falling out. Like you didn't notice it. Really, it just happened. Yeah. So I think the question of hive mind is whether and how much individual agency each member had. Like, uh, so it's the same question that comes up in Ender's Game with the Queen and the uh, and the end of it, and the drones and like, the workers. Yeah, it actually seems like the workers have intelligence and they're just subsumed by the Queen. Hmm. Uh, but I don't know that it necessarily had control over. So the impression that I walked away with was that there were civilizations that were autonomous and not all from the same civilization because just because that sort of span didn't seem attainable. Um, and that they were like one after another getting snuffed out and, and, and this, this greater power, um, was connected with them, but it was not them. If that makes sense. I don't... No, I don't think... It was different civilizations. Okay, because... I mean, because I'm also on, like, this book series is also trying to be realistic. And we're talking about two billion years ago. And How old is the universe? Un- is it eight billion years? Uh, I don't... I don't have an answer. I don't know if I'm going to get confused with the population of the Earth again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 13.8 is the estimate. Okay. So so that's a substantial percentage of the universe. What do you mean, like... Of, of, the, of the lifetime of it, I mean. Yeah, so I, I'm seeing like thinking, like, well, two billion years is a lot. And... You know, we... we uh, it seems unlikely to have another civilization at that level of development. Because, like, this civilization, like, the Makers are old. Like, they must be very old when they die. Yes. Because, like, that is high level of technology advancement. That's extremely evolved. Right. And, I mean, and they're, and they are sending this molecule that can subsume entire ecosystems to its will, or to its uh, programming, and they have to send that on, like, an asteroid through space the slow way. So, like, they had a lot of time to do stuff. Yeah. Um, and and so, look at how many gates there are. 
Yeah, so my and thinking is... look at how many is, geeks there were before. You know, you have a super old civilization. took a long time to get to that point. I think they're the only one in this hive mind. But, like... You know, if, if individuals in the hive mind have some level of... Individual. Like, it's we, the collective, but, like... You know, it just means you're kind of, like, involved... You have a collective will. It doesn't necessarily mean you have no in- individual ego. I think that my I guess what I'm getting at is there's a lot of ways for a hive mind to form and I don't think many like as far as you know theories we have about hive minds. Uh, and I don't think that there are many examples of the theories that wouldn't notice entire star systems coming off. It's like you feel like you lost a finger. But, like but that star is system. what it was like. I mean, is it though? Like they, yeah, they lost no. They, well, at first, it was like that. It was, it was like losing skin cells. It was, it was I like mm, I, this is a little bit of extra dandruff. <laughs> essentially, I think I got the impression that they didn't like they barely noticed it when it first happened. That, that's what I'm saying. They barely noticed it. Then why did they blow up star systems? Eventually, it became like impossible to ignore. <laughs> they went from mm, it's a, some of my hair's falling out to oh god a bald spot. <laughs> they, I guess so. They they essentially like I I think that they described it as almost sort of an illness or like that's how Holden understood it. Yeah. Something progressive. Yeah, where at first it's like you know you have a cold and your doctor's like oh how long have you been having symptoms and you're like I don't really know when they started. <laughs> you don't necessarily notice if you sneeze or cough a couple times yeah at least before there was a pandemic but (laughs) (laughs) i mean even still honestly um but then once you're like kind of trying to look back on it you're like i guess this this has been going on for like two weeks you know i I got the feeling it was kind of like that um except fatal so um i don't know but but i guess my thing is it's its mission was to so i feel like this is discussed in the earlier books and i don't know if it was definitively accepted or it was accepted but i don't know if it was like proven that the purpose of the protomolecule was to like prepare earth for a new civilization like it was a like a terraforming thing is that something or am i making that up uh i don't think that they would have cared about the terraforming because they could just do that Right. So that's what I'm wondering. Was the point of the protomolecule to bring <clears throat> systems into the fold? I think that was the point. Or was it to take over systems? I mean, or was it to bring them or was it to both, give access right? so that you could take over the system? So like the protomolecule, you said the like, protomolecule. Is, basically, is this a malicious force? Obviously, the greater malicious force is whatever wiped it out because that's incomprehensible amounts of power. I mean, I'd say it's an imperialistic force. Like the whole point of the proto molecule is you send it to a <laughs> it's <system>. like Rome. <laughs> we will take it, take over you, kill all your, <laughs> kill like a lot of people, but we will give you roads and baths and plumbing. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. So the the proto molecule is supposed to go to civilizations, or go not civilizations, go to planets that have some sort of biological life. They did not expect it to be very advanced because as they pr- talked about. Did they talk about in the Baden's Gate how the protomolecule wasn't expecting to find, like, intelligent life? I think, not in this book, but I, yeah, I think it's been discussed. Okay, but it's been talked about. Okay, cool. Yes. Um, so the protomolecule was designed to find, like, single cellular organisms and maybe some ocean life. 
but like not intelligent life. Right. So A, they didn't expect to find anything there. So this further supports my theory that they didn't have any other intelligent life that they've come across. Um, or they did, yeah, that makes just sense. knowingly killed them. But I, I think it was, it's clear that the protomaki was not designed to deal with intelligent life. It was, and so it's like, just slaves it to its will. The entire ecosystem starts working forwards one purpose, and that is the gate. And then you have a gate, and then the makers can come through and do whatever they want to the planet. And which I imagine could include, like, a snap of the finger, um, entire planet is now terraformed to our needs. Well, time, the, their, their, their um, concept of time seems very uh, different from ours. If they're willing I mean, to have something travel, um, you know, light years. Well, that's true. So, I'm sorry. Maybe they terraform it slowly. But to them, it would be like a snap of the fingers. Right. Well, yes. I think... <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter whether they're terraforming as quick or not, because... <laughs> okay, fair enough. They're, they're, they seem endlessly patient. I mean, yeah, if you're a hive mind, then yeah, right? Like, it's not it's not even like a queen in a hive. That's a bad analogy, because the queen dies eventually. It's right. the collective... We never dies. Yeah. yeah Infinite that makes sense. patience. That makes sense. The, one of the things, so this is a reference to Halo. Um, at the end of the fifth Halo game, there, or the plot, the, the fifth Halo game talks about how like AIs are really meant to be the ruling class <laughs> because they are capable of like far flung planning on a level that no one else is. Sure. Like, no, hu- humans in general are not good at long term planning. <laughs> you know, think of how what give me one example <laughs> yeah. just think about all the empires that fell as soon as the the man that or the, the person that forged the empire died humans have no respect for vague future problems hence the <laughs> right. state of our planet at this moment yeah exactly uh so and the idea is that artificial intelligence is or a hive mind would be able to yes uh but anyway so yeah uh the makers i am looking forward to learning a lot more about them I'm a little ways. distressed that you don't know more about them. <laughs> Maybe I do, and I'm just not telling you. I guess that's true, but you seem to still have a lot of questions. There's still questions, but I have more answers. I guess they can't give it to you all at once. No, that would be just... Don't be, hey, don't so be greedy. Just, how many books are in this series? If you want to all at once, just look it up. So true. That's what Wikipedia is for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, do you know how many book series I haven't read? Because I'm like, oh, fuck, there's like seven books. The first one looks like a really interesting plot. I know. Anything I know about comic books that is not in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Alright, so shall we wrap up this long and belated episode? I'm trying to think if there's any other main things we need to talk about. Uh, We didn't really talk about Bull literally at all in the whole um, political state, but I don't feel like there's that much to say there. Did you We talked about the race war and politics, which is really what we wanted to talk about. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's more of like a high-level entire series theme yeah not not too much specific from this book i did think it was nice that there was a degree of unity that um was found in the face of this enormous thing because that was discussed at the beginning um by that one uh young man that anna had that bond with that he was like why are we still chris right? so yeah i think you're right chris i was thinking about how ordinary the names are in this series <laughs> none of them are like futury at all <laughs> They're like the most basic names, like Jim. Chris Jen. Huh? Chris Jen. Chris Jen. That's probably a normal name for somebody. You're probably right. I always assumed that that was like just a name from a culture that's not mine. 
<laughs> I just assumed I was the asshole and just didn't know anything about another culture. Yeah, yeah. Just, which is a fair point. That's the thing I assume a lot, honestly. It's <laughs> true. It's better safe than sorry. Yeah, better to much... assume that you don't know anything than that you what do know something. What are the chances something. names become future Um, I think that people are named things today that they wouldn't have been named. Give me one non-celebrity example. Because celebrities are crazy and you can't use them as a yardstick. No, no, I'm not going to use Apple. Um, what? Or, or whatever the hell. Yeah, I think Gwyneth Paltrow has a kid named Apple. That's fucking dumb. Everything Gwyneth Paltrow does is fucking dumb. Okay, and, but then we also have North. She's like the only celebrity I'll take a strong negative stance about. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but, it, it, I mean, okay, hold on. Hold on. This is a fair argument. and you know what names are fairly cyclical too like i think of jim is like a very common name but i don't think that there actually are a lot of kids being named that's what i'm saying now i think that we're gonna cycle this so i don't i think we're like we might have some people named julius or something but we're not gonna have people named like we have people named julius okay but i've never met one like there aren't that many people that are being named right now named julius i guess that's true but there are people named julius Yes. Yeah, like, I mean, things definitely things definitely wax and wane in popularity. And I think that that's just going to continue forever. <laughs> Eternally. <laughs> I mean, like, I thought we knew names probably, but like, until we see some real culture, cultural shift, like, to something Belter-like, uh, we're not going to really see any names. Well, I guess they're just very white. That's fair, but um, very, very like European. Holden's white. Alex is white. No, Alex is Martian. Alex is <laughs> Texan. <laughs> Effectively, um, Alex is from. Do, a place do we that actually some... know his like? He's from his... Marin Valley. Yes, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's Texan. I mean, you're right, but like, and also there's a large Hispanic population in Texas. Okay, fair enough. Alex is from a place that probably has a strong European culture. That's fair. Because like if Texans populated it, and the whole point of the fact that like the whole like when they talked about the Mariner Valley drawl, they were like, "Oh, and you know Texans and like their culture, like they're religious zealots about their culture." <laughs> so like, there's no way they lost that. So Alex makes sense. Uh, Naomi, I think, is also white. No, she's she's Belter. I think Belter is kind of a, a no, mix. No. Naomi is super pale. This has been brought up before. Has this been brought up before? I'm almost certain Naomi because Naomi has like an ethereal paleness. I My think God, is so the Rosie crew all white? <laughs> okay, no, no. You made a good point about Alex. And, and to be fair, Amos too. A- Amos uh, is unclear. He's from Baltimore, so it's entirely possible with something else. It's true. It's never explicitly said, but I guess my white was a poor term. They're all from European backgrounds, with the exception of Naomi. Like, culturally European. Who might historically be, be but... Who, at least genetically, is some... Because I got the European. feeling that the belt... I, I, I certainly have the impression, and I don't know if I made it up, but I got the impression that the belt is very ethnically diverse. And that's why they have, like, kind of that Creole... Um, oh, definitely. And, and because it's, like, kind of from poorer populations, mostly... Um, I mean, yeah, but ethnically diverse doesn't mean 
you can't be white. It just means you're no, less likely to be white. Certainly not. But I think that the um, the uh, distribution is different. It is it is less of a white um, yes majority. Yeah, yeah, you're less likely to be like a given baby born in the belt is less likely to be white. I think that's, that's true. True. I would I would say that's probably true in this universe. Um, <clears throat> we've been talking about race way too much. I'm not comfortable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is. And, you know, the, the really hard part about whenever we talk about race is the 20, like 40% of the conversation is trying to tiptoe around saying something because you're worried that because we're white, it'll come off really badly. And, and to be fair, it might. we just don't know that much. Yeah, we don't know if it will or not. So you're like trying to figure out another way to say it without it's saying just, it. It's just less okay to be an idiot about this than it is about any other topic. <laughs> we, we, in fact, pride ourselves on how we are idiots about every other topic. <laughs> This one it's sort of less excusable. <laughs> this one's more of a oh, so you have just more, more potentially harmful. Right, you haven't tried to educate yourself on this apparently. Which I, I've tried. I wouldn't say this is fair, but I don't it does think seem that's true. But no, no, no I, I will say that looks up that kind of looks like what's going on. It's yes, not yes, true, yes. but it true. could be what was going on. Perceived, yes. perceived. That might be the impression we give off if we were too dumb about it. <sighs> anyway, it's I don't, I don't even know we're talking about it. Oh, because I thought the names were very um. Very Eurocentric. European, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples. I feel like there were other examples. But maybe not. Maybe you're right. Maybe there's no reason to think that the names would be any different. <laughs> you're right that the Rosie's crew is all, you know, Eurocentric. Yeah. I mean, Bull's name is Carlos, which is not Eurocentric, but it is a common name. Um. I mean, yeah, Bull is very much... Uh, Hispanic. Yeah, he's Hispanic. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. What one thing before we wrap up that I did think was cool about Bull was about his history and how like, you know, he was a poor kid growing up, like stripping useful parts out of like solar panel arrays in the <laughs> middle of the desert or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, that is really possible. <laughs> yeah. Like that's no, a future. That makes sense for sure. Eventually solar will be less useful or fingers crossed we get to cheap fusion power which is what they did yeah that would be uh, good and we don't need renewables anymore because they're bad yeah well not as good as fusion would be anyway they they are hard to, they have a lot of other issues involved and fusion would just be a lot easier yeah, yeah i don't think bad is fair <laughs> but ba- buggy, buggy is fair <laughs> but you know buggy is a great example well, great word for it they're buggy yeah all right. There's just lots to work out. This is a I, weird. This is a weird direction. This all took. Uh sci-fi sidebar. <laughs> Our sidebars very rarely involve sci-fi. Huh? Our sidebars very rarely involve sci-fi. I, I would say that they often involve sci-fi. It's just not the sci-fi we're discussing. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> Bob <laughs> or Singularity Trap. Singularity Trap. Or uh, occasionally Red Rising. Oh God. We got all I think all, all of which came up, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the trifecta. <laughs> we also swung in Wayfair. Yeah, that's true. It was true. a big day for us. Yeah, we really covered a lot of ground, which is good, because it's been an hour and a half. So, so let us I mean, wrap we, it up. We missed plenty about the book, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is a fair argument for everyone who listens to us has to also have listened to all the other episodes, because otherwise <laughs> half, half the content doesn't even It's matter. like watching a crossover episode from Disney Channel back in like 2008. <laughs> and it's like if you've never watched like Hannah Montana or whatever. 
<laughs> You're just going to lose a lot, a lot of references. Yeah, exactly. Who are these twins? Yeah. <laughs> Please, <he's- laughs> Everyone's seen Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Uh, yeah, that's true. Don't Nobody's even not seen Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. So true. Um, Nobody right. in the entire world. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Yes. Uh, Peter, tell us what our next book is. Oh, our next book is a novella from Scalzi. Oh, interesting. Called The God Engines. The God Engines. Is it in a universe we've experienced or no? No. It's uh, fairly dystopian. And fucking grim as all hell, as far as I can tell. Oh, fun. But it was a <laughs> finalist for uh, the 2010 Hugo Award for Best Novella. Okay. And it, is, uh, it seems to be... a. It seems like it'll be a good source of things to talk about, and or also a shorter episode next month. And a great uh, way to bridge into <laughs> some other book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's probably a palate cleanser for sure. Oh, that's exciting. The God Engines, you said? The God Engines. Interesting. All right. Sounds great. <laughs> um, so that will be our June episode. Should we just stop giving out <laughs> release dates? <laughs> I've thought about this and I'm like, but then we would never release it in the planned <laughs> month. We would just find a new and advanced way to be late. Well, hey, we, we've got uh, three weeks, though. Oh, that's pretty good. That's the good news. We've got June 7th is the is the release date. Thanks, May. Thanks for being a 31-day month or we'd have been screwed. <laughs> it's really though. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So June 7th is the target. Uh, all right. Target, so, nice. What? <laughs> nice use of wording. Target. target. Not release date. Target. <laughs> Projected, even. It's a little sad that we've stopped even trying to justify ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah, we <laughs> fucked up. Hi. Let's move on. <laughs> We had legitimate reasons, and then we stopped having legitimate reasons this month. <laughs> uh, this month was bad, but yeah, we will bad. we will move on with our lives. That's it. Looks, it's not, it's not as bad like... as the unannounced maternity leave that we took last year. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Listen, Alrighty, twenty twenty was a rough time. We all remember, but let's not think about it too much. You guys remember twenty twenty? Yeah. Now forget it. <laughs> now we're moving forward. Anyway, um, Peter, where can they find us? If they want they to find us. Um, tell us how wrong we've been. <laughs> uh, at Sci-Fi Sidebar. You can email us at Sci-Fi Sidebar at SignifyingNothingNetwork.com. You can find us on Facebook.com forward slash Sci-Fi Sidebar where we occasionally put announcements or releases. It's happened. It's happened more often than it hasn't, but it doesn't happen every time. You could also certainly message us through that. So. Oh, yeah. Or if you want to email us, uh, you can email I, I us at. Uh, I did this one. <laughs> what? Sci-fi sidebar at studiofindnothingnetwork.com. I did this one already. Oh my god. CC, <laughs> 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 where can they can they tweet at us? <laughs> I'm seeing nothing net on Twitter. <laughs> oh my god. Embarrassments. <laughs> Sorry, my mind watered. It's been a while. <laughs> Who let us have microphones? What? Who let us have microphones? Amazon. Those irresponsible <laughs> bastards. These should be a controlled tool. <laughs> Amazon is remorseless. <laughs> in the way they treat their workers and in who they allow to buy microphones. <laughs> Good. Alright, let's wrap it up. Completely off. unscrupulous. Terrible company. <laughs> Those are two equal things. <laughs> Oh, Lord. 
Oh my god. All right. Yes. Uh, everybody, this has been <laughs> unmistakably <laughs> sci-fi sci-fi from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by idiots. <laughs> 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 <laughs>